Hello, and welcome to the Science Bloggers Podcast. I'm David Latchman, and my guest this week is Etta Michael Bissong. Etta is a Nigerian science journalist and a Cornell Alliance for Science Global Fellow who works towards promoting effective science communication and evidence-based decision-making in his community. Hello, and welcome to the Science Bloggers Podcast. I am David Latchman, and my guest today is Etta Michael Bissong. Etta is a Nigerian science journalist and the 2018 Cornell Alliance for Science Global Fellow. Uh, he is also working towards promoting effective science communication and evidence-based decision-making within his country. So, hello, Etta. How are you? I'm fine, Dave. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure having me on your show today. And it's my, I would love to speak with you. Thank you very much. It's good to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Thank you very much, Dave. I am Etta Michael Bisong. I am a journalist from Nigeria. I have over 14 years experience, you know, working in various media organizations. Before now, I had earlier worked um, in National Daily, my country, known as Leadership Newspaper, for about five, six years. And then I then moved to another newspaper, also known as Blueprint Newspaper, which is also another National Daily in Nigeria. I think I worked between that time and 2015 when I left and I established I co-established an initiative known as a network, known as a Journalist for Social Development Initiative. And why did we do that? You know, having spent the last years working in the media industry, I, I realized that, um, you know, journalists in Nigeria were not really focusing on issues around sustainable development, which also includes, you know, science and technology. I then um, started campaigning and I was able to mobilize some of my few colleagues, you know, to see how we can come together and form this network to see how, you know, we can actually, you know, push and, you know, promote awareness around, you know, development communication. And I think that was how we came up with our first, you know, campaign to actually promote um, bio, bio, biotechnology. So basically, our mandate, you know, in GSAI is to see how we can help support awareness around this particular, you know, you know sector. So presently, um, we have a five-year um, campaign plan to actually promote biotechnology in Nigeria, which also includes working with farmers, scientists, government institutions, and the public generally. So I think um, that's what we are doing. And then now, I mean, in, in the U.S., in New York in particular, with Cornell University, where I am undergoing, you know, a three-month training on um, biotechnology communication. I think um, that's for now, that's, that's what I'm doing. And the plan is um, after my fellowship, I'll return back to Nigeria to join my team and then um, we'll carry on with our, our campaign like, we had, like we've been doing. Is there a lot of biotechnology research taking place in Nigeria? Yes, Nigeria, like you know, is a signatory to the biodiversity you know, um, um, protocol. And also Nigeria is also um, a signatory to the Katatina protocol, that protocol which actually, you know, supports, you know, the adoption and the price of biotechnology, you know, all over the world. Nigeria happens to be one of the countries, you know, who is signatory to that particular protocol. And um, therefore, it means Nigeria is allowed to, to carry out, also to be involved in research and in the development and the practice of biotechnology. So I think over the last 20 to 25 years, Nigeria has been involved in biotechnology activities. And um, in 2001, 
the government of Nigeria, you know, to to support that particular agreement, establish an agency of government known as the National Biotechnology Development Agency, which is charged with the responsibility of promoting the you know, research and uh, the development of biotechnology in the country. And then in 2015, the country also, there was an act that was passed by the parliament, uh, the Biosafety Act, which also, because for any nation to actually practice biotechnology in the country, in any nation, the law in the Canadian Protocol states that that nation must have a biosafety agency, that's, which is like a regulatory agency that would oversee the activities and the practice of that technology. So Nigeria has these two agencies in place. Therefore, Nigeria is ready to actually be involved in this particular you know, technology. So presently, Nigeria is fully involved in this particular practice. And we have several few trials that are going on in the country. Until recently, I think sometime in July this year, Nigeria happens to be the second country after South Africa to actually commercialize you know, a BT crop, which is known as cutting the BT cutting. And there's an anticipation that by before the end of next year, December 2019, Nigeria also hopes to release another BT crop known as cowpea for commercialization. I think there are lots, lots of activities going on, you know, in the country with regards to biotech practice in Nigeria. So what is the general attitude of Nigerians towards biotechnology or to GMOs? Just like every other country, you know, in, um, in Africa, Nigerians, yes, the awareness is gradually coming in, but the public is still a little bit not too clear about uh, biotech practice, you know, as it were. And um, although the government is doing a lot of public awareness creation in the country to see how the public can actually be educated about this new technology and how, you know, farmers in particular stands to, to benefit from this particular technology. But I think overall, there's, there's still much, you know, that is needed to be done in the area of awareness creation and actually also getting farmers to you know, to um, like, like like the BT cutting that's been released after the, the release of, of, of the crop. I think um, over 1,000 seeds, cotton seeds were given to farmers to actually cultivate. And if you look at the size of cotton farmers in Nigeria, in Nigeria, I think we have over 86,000 registered farmers in the country. And if you look at it, 1,000 seeds to over 86,000 farmers, it's, it's highly insignificant. So you can imagine the, the, the huge margin that is still left to be covered. So I think um, there's still need for, for more public engagement, more awareness creation uh, about the technology because really farmers stands to, to benefit from this technology if the awareness is really you know spread out to, to the people. So what are some of the challenges in getting your message across to farmers or to the general public? For Nigeria, there's this huge public resistance, you know, about GMOs, and that's because of the communication gap. And um, I think that also, you know, led to our network, you know, pinching into this particular area to see how we can help, you know, cover that communication gap between the public and, and the technology it, itself. You know, based on the misconceptions, the global misconceptions about biotechnology and GMOs in general. So I think Nigeria, you know, it doesn't, it's not living in isolation. They are part of the debate, mostly with what is coming from Europe, because European countries have actually, you know, labeled GMOs as something that's not too really healthy. And Nigeria, of course, happens to, you know, tend to model some of the activities, you know, around Europe. So because of that misconception, there's this huge public fear 
about GMOs and their implications. So I think Nigerians are, are also very skeptic about the technology. Although I haven't been involved in this sector for a while now, some of these, these fears are, are not really based on the science itself. They are more of perceptions than the science itself. There's also a group who believes that GMOs are actually not really, they are not natural. And therefore, why should, um, of course, 80 to 90% of Nigerians are religious people. So, I mean, it's to them, it's a little bit of worry for, for them to adopt something they feel is not natural because to them, they believe that that, that will um, amount to trying to, to play God. You know, so I think uh, some of the challenges that actually have bedeviled this particular technology are more perceptional. There's also another group who believes that um, GMOs are cancerous. GMOs causes cancer. Therefore, so why do we have to cultivate something and eat something that at the end of the day will also cause us cancer? And of course, Nigerian, if you check, if you look at the trade you know, between Nigeria and Europe, it's, it's, it's very tight. You know, and Nigeria also believes that if, for instance, they adopt biotechnology and GMOs, and they cultivate these crops, where do they export these crops to? Europe is not going to be buying them. And the European Union you know, happens to be Nigeria's, one of Nigeria's top partners, trade partners. You know, so, so these are some of the, 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 the challenges that are actually shaping you know, the public perception and the debate back in Nigeria that seems to be highly worrisome. But um, we believe, because like we know, that some of these, these concerns surround perceptions and not the science itself, even though some few groups that they've come up, you know, with all the challenges that Nigeria cannot adopt GMO, that Nigeria is food sufficient. So, I mean, for them, they are conversing for other alternatives, you know, other cultural techniques instead of GMOs, which has really, really, you know, put a huge, huge, huge number of challenges. But like I mentioned earlier on, the, the government is doing a lot in their own way to see how they can help, you know, bridge this communication gap. And I think with small groups like ourselves, I think we're also trying to see how we can actually mobilize the public, you know, to actually have a better understanding about this technology and how they stand to to benefit, you know, from this technology in the face of um, some of the the agricultural challenges like um, like pests and diseases. I mean, so there's no way, there's no way Nigeria can, um, can, can do without this technology when we have this huge challenges in the agricultural sector that, you know, that the conventional reading system has not been able to respond to, you know, and also looking at the, the projection that um, between now and, you know, you know, the middle of this century, the world is, I mean, it's going to amount to about 10 billion people, you know, so who is going to feed this, this amount of people, you know, can conventional breeding system feed these people? The answer is no. So if the answer is no, then what then can we do to see how we can actually address these challenges? So, I mean, these are some of the things that uh, we are trying to help our people back home to understand and, you know, to see how they can actually key into these things and see how they can embrace biotechnology, not as a magic solution, not as a magic bullet, but as a way, you know, to solving some of these problems I had earlier mentioned to you. And it sounds like a lot of the problem comes from information that comes from the West, from Europe and from North America that is not necessarily favorable to biotechnology or GMOs? I think um, most of Europe, because, because like I mentioned earlier on to you, Nigeria as a colony of Great Britain, I, you know, happens to, to they look up to, to Europe, you know, for guidance, you know, when it comes to developmental issues. For example, if 
one one of the, the, the arguments that have been raised, you know, back home, back in Nigeria, is the fact that if they are safe, why is Europe not adopting them? If these things were good for our people, why is Europe, for example, why why are they not why, why are they not adopting all these things? What do we know that they don't they don't know? You know, so so you so you, you can you, you can understand where it's coming from. Then also like 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 America, for example, America happens to be like um, they are the ones who are actually championing you know, the, the adoption and the practice of this technology in Africa and in Nigeria, you know. But you see, like, in some of these international treaties, like the, the Biological Diversity Protocol, America is not signatory to it, but they are championing it. If you look at the Cartagena Protocol, for instance, also, America is also not signatory to that particular protocol. But yet, they are the ones championing, you know, this technology back in Africa, back home in Africa. So, I mean, so people are a little, a little bit skeptic that will be careful, they're asking questions. If it was a good thing, why is America not part of it? But yet, they're the ones pushing for all these things. You know, so so these are some of the things that are actually raising fears, you know. And then to make it worse, some of these pesticide companies, you know, they are also not making not making things too good for the people by trying to tell them that these things will kill them, this thing will cause this, this will cause that. So it's it, it's more of a, it has to do with, with, with trade war, it has to do with with. With, with ignorance from the, on the part of the people too, not actually, because this technology basically is still something that is a little bit alien to our people, not though that alone, it's also sophisticated. And unlike like, like here in the West, where you find most farmers are, you know, educated people, back there in Africa, in Nigeria, you find out that 70% of the farmers are not really elite. They are more of smallholder farmers who live in rural communities. So you you can understand the the the, the information challenges that we face when it comes to trying to understand you know the the the, the, the nature of this new agricultural technique. So it's a little bit sophisticated for them to understand, and that will take a lot of work to do in, in the area of training, capacity building, you know, small groups meeting, you know, just to enable them you know ha- have an idea. You know of what this technology is is all about. So there's still this huge misconception around the technology because of its sophisticated nature, which I believe enough. I mean, they have they've not really done enough to help demystify some of these these concerns and, and and worries. I think that's that's one, one challenge I can actually highlight. I mentioned to you here on this platform. So it sounds like you have a lot of problems that that you're facing. One is the effects of colonialism. Nigerians look towards Europeans for that answer, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's also the economic side of it, where manufacturers want to have farmers continue using their chemicals when, you know, new biotech or GMOs might allow them to use less of that and probably produce a better crop, more bountiful, higher quality crop. So how, how are you fighting all of this? I think, um, like I mentioned to you earlier on, the science itself is not really in dispute. Some of the concerns that have been raised are, are sociological. Example, religion, because GMOs are actually perceived as some sort of unnatural practices, you know, and, and, and for them. And, you know, when, when, when it has to do with religion, like I said, over 90% of this population are highly religious people. So that by itself poses huge resistance and nobody has been able to, you know, to explain to them or you know, to distinguish between, you know, the, the science and, and, and religion. You know, even though, even though some of these religious groups are not anti-science, but they, they've not been able to still 
resolve on the, the science of, of biotechnology. So you, you can imagine the kind of uh, influence that has on, on, on the people. Yet farmers back home are actually, you know, facing a lot of, you know, challenges, like I mentioned, like in the area of, um, you know, you know, pests, you know, like Maruka in cowpea. Maruka is, is, is a top agent, you understand, that destroys cowpea. And of course, farmers over the years have really suffered when it comes to the harvest yield. But nobody has been able to, not even the chemicals have been able to, you know, to solve this, this pest problem. For example, like most cowpea farmers have to spray over 10, 11, 12 times, you know, in a single, have, you know, in a single cycle, which is also not, and, 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 and for them, they, they, they don't see that as a huge threat, you know, to, to human health, you know, even though it's a little bit obsolete. And here you have scientists coming up with a new idea, with a new breeding technique that can actually help them, you know, reduce the amount of chemicals, you know, they, 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 they spray, you know, when it comes to cowpea, and yet they are not accepting this, 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 this technology. Like in Nigeria, for example, the, the, the cowpea, you know, research project has been under the confined field trial for over like 11 years now. Although they are, they are actually running up to, to see if they can see how they can actually get this particular, you know, product released, you know. So um, I think it, it has to do with um, awareness creation. It has to do with capacity building. It has to do with um, public participation. They need to b bring the public more to get involved, you know, in this developmental process. Because what has been happening over the years is you find scientists going into the lab, carry out these researches, do what they need to do. And as soon as they are done, you just come to the public and tell them, hey, we have found this solution to this problem. You guys should just take it. It will help solve your problem. And, you know, it, it doesn't work like that. So I think one of one of the advocacy we are pushing for as an organization is to see how we can actually get the public involved in some of these scientific activities, because that way we believe that some of their fears, which are not scientific, will be actually be reduced and be you know be addressed, and then uh, then also see how we can also you know point out to them that okay if you don't want biotechnology, if you don't want GMOs, what is the alternative? to the challenges you are facing? What is the solution to some of the pests and disease problems you're having? How do, how are you going to, of course, this conventional way of farming, this present farming system is not sustainable. Are you looking at the future? If you're looking at the future, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? So these are some of the questions we've, you know, we've raised, you know, to see how we can also get them to understand that, look, there's a problem here which we actually need to address. But all of this, you know, will take time and that has to also do with capacity building, public engagement, awareness creation, so that um, these people can actually, you know, you know, get to understand this is practically, we need to move from theory to practice. You know, like I said, like the BT cotton in Nigeria that has been released for commercialization, we just have just 1,000 seeds, you know, given to 1,000 farmers by the government to see how they can encourage them to cultivate, you know, this seed and have for the first time, have a practical, you know, experience and knowledge on how, you know, these particular crops, you know, how they work and also see how, you know, they can distinguish, you know, BT crops from, you know, from conventional crops as it were, you know. So I think um, it's about public participation, it's about capacity building, it's about engaging the public, it's about getting the people to also know that, look, what we are doing, it's for our own good. Even though we are scientists, we are also part of society too, you know. So I think... For me, I think these are some of the things I believe that if properly focused on and addressed, then 
we just might be making a headway. There's, there, there also, there's also this other, other. I mean, you should know about the Monsanto's, you know, syndrome. You know, there's this also believe that there's some of these 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 seeds are coming from Monsanto's. You know, therefore, I mean, they, they don't want it. Monsanto is not. Is I mean, it's like <laughs> they, they they view Monsanto's as 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 demonic. You know, so the no, and nobody wants to even look at the science. You know. So I think um, there's also that 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 negative notion that some of these these BT seeds are going to be coming from big crops like Monsanto's, Syngenta, Bay and Co, which to them is still worrisome. So there's also this this push that even if they are going to adopt this technology, you know GMOs, then I think some of these seeds should come from local scientists, which is another area I think we really need to look at look into critically. Yes, you know many people here in the US they. They hear Monsanto and they immediately think this is an evil corporation. They look at Roundup, they look at, you know, the seeds that they produce and they think, oh yeah, this is a horrible thing. So that's one thing that, you know, we have in, in common. This perception that biotech companies are, are bad and they're not working in our interest. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit, you know, that there are problems in the biotech industry but you know the, the the science says that at least what they make is 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 good for us you know it's it's an integral part for agriculture so let's talk about your work in in cornell what have you learned so far and what role do you think universities like cornell will play in helping countries like nigeria since the last six weeks i've been here in cornell you know, a lot has been revealed to me. For example, um, I'm a, a journalist and a communicator by training. I'm not a laboratory person. Since the last six weeks here, I've been involved, you know, into various laboratory activities, going to the lab to try to understand how these crops are actually modified. And the science itself is, is very clear and very straightforward. And it's obvious that um, I just, I, I leave a little bit of concern. I said, how can you bring the whole general public into the lab to actually come and see that their fears are not justifiable, that the science itself is simplistic, is straightforward, and I mean, it's not the way it is being viewed, you know, that the, the, the perception about the science itself is, is, is a misconception. So I think uh, Cornell is doing a great job, you know, bringing, you know, people together, bringing over 29 fellows across over eight countries, you know, across the world to come and understand and see how these things are being done, which which, which is the way forward. I mean, there's no other way of, of doing it. You know, if you, for example, like myself, who is a journalist, if if I don't come here and involve myself into, into laboratory activities, for example, you know, to see, now I'm being trained now, I'm shifting from being just a journalist, you know, and then I'm becoming a journalist who is also a scientist, you know, in practice. So I think... Um, Cornell is doing is doing the right thing, even though they still need, you know, for more to to be done. And sincerely speaking, I I really encourage, you know, other people to. I mean, Cornell is just laying the foundation. Cornell is 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 the through the Alliance for Science is setting the pace. I would like to see government of some of these these countries also, you know, involved into this kind of activities, mobilizing their own people and not just allowing Cornell alone to carry this responsibility because I don't think Cornell alone can, you know, can can do this because when you compare the the, the huge margin and what Cornell is doing, it's it's highly insignificant. But like I said, it's just the way forward. And I think Cornell is is, is paving the way, you know, for for, for others to 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 emulate. And I really encourage, like I said, mostly government of, of these countries 
to see how they can actually you know get involved into what Colonel is doing and then and then see how we can actually help address this problem. Because the truth is that our people are living with these challenges and nothing is being done about it. You know, so I, I would like them to emulate what Colonel is doing to see how they can help solve this problem that you know has befallen our people. I agree with you that developed countries like I mean the US Many other developed countries, we, we can and we should do more to help, you know, others, you know, adopt, you know, to improve their agriculture, you know, to, to do better, to, to plant more, to get more abundant yields. So hopefully we'll see more of that in the future. So hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed. Okay. <laughs> and sure. <laughs> hopefully something will happen. So is, is there so. much of a, a, a science journalism presence in, in Nigeria? Yeah, I think for the Nigerian team, we are, we are six of us. And in our team, we have three journalists in the team, myself, and, uh, you know, and, um, and somebody who is also a broadcast you know, journalist, the region in specific, and there's another journalist as well, too, who has extensive knowledge in agri-reporting. Then we have somebody also who's an expert in digital communication. In addition to that, we have uh, you know a first-class plant breeder in our team as well, who actually supports us in the area of um, explaining you know some of the scientific aspect of um, this particular technology to us. And uh, I think uh, we also have a farmer who's also with us too in our team. Then from other countries too, I think they also have journalists too, and farmers as well. We have lawyers in the team. The whole idea is to see how we can actually get you know all these things put together and see how we can work. We can, we can move forward. That sounds good. And, and hopefully, you know, what you learn in New York from Cornell, you know, you can take it back home and help other journalists like, like yourself, you know, do, do better. Sure, because the, the, the whole idea of the Alliance for Science is to see how they can build a global army, a global champions that um, will actually help, you know, having been empowered, you know, go back to the various countries and then see how they can step down the knowledge they have acquired here, you know, in Cornell. Then see how they can go back and start mobilizing people and getting them prepared, you know, for, for these future challenges. Yeah, I think I, I really must commend Cornell for what they are doing. And like I said, I also like, I, I wouldn't want government of, of these countries to allow Cornell alone to carry this burden. For me, what Cornell is doing is Cornell is just setting the pace for others to follow. And I, I hope, I pray and I hope that they actually, you know, emulate what they are doing because that way we can speedily, you know, get to where we are going to. Yes, I, I agree. And, and hopefully we'll play a more important part in, in making this happen in a more developed countries and we can change people's perceptions. So... As we conclude, is, is there anything else you'd like to, to say? Yes, I would like to close my conversation with you this way. Biotechnology, GMOs, GE, BT, they are not the solution to this problem. But to me, biotechnology is like one of you know, the tools you know, in the toolbox in of, of the breeders, of the farmers and others. So we just have to understand that, for example, biotechnology did not cause some of these challenges we are facing today. Biotechnology is only trying to help address these, these challenges. And that's, that's the way I would like our people to actually view this technology. Yes, no doubt, because of the nature of this technology and because of the nature of our world, this technology has caused 
under serious attack because of cultural differences, because of political ideologies, because of trade wars and all of that. But the truth is that the science itself is very clear. The science itself is very straightforward. The science itself has shown that biotechnology is safe. So now the challenge is how can we now key into this modern innovation to help address our problems? So that's how I would like people to look at this technology. And I will also tax, you know, like I said, government leaders of various nations to see how they can come up with new strategies, to come up with new ways, new ideas that can help empower their people, that can help, you know, empower people to, to view this technology from a positive light and move away from the negative, you know, point of view that the technology has been presented, you know, for so many reasons that are not scientific. And our people need to know that the present way of farming is not sustainable. Like some of the arguments back home in Africa and maybe in Nigeria in specific is that we don't need biotechnology. Our land is fertile. Yes, that is correct. But the question is how long will the land be fertile? How long are we going to keep on present obsolete, you know, agricultural practices? We might be doing good now, but 50 years from now, do we have to wait between now and 50 years when we start facing these challenges before we take action? My answer is no. So the earlier we recognize the fact that there's a future ahead of us, we need to, we, you know, and there are challenges also, you know, that will come with that future, then it's better for us that we can start preparing. So moving forward, I would like to see governments in these countries take more proactive actions. Let them not leave this responsibility to nations like America or to bodies like Cornell alone to show that it's our own problem. Cornell or the U.S. are only trying to see how they can mobilize us for the future which we are all projecting. That's what they are doing. But the sole responsibility lies on our leaders, lies on our nations. That's just the honest truth. And that's the area I would like us to look at this particular, you know, innovation in the face of the controversies. It's highly pathetic that this technology has come under serious attack, you know, but the truth is that whether we like it or not, time, 50 years from today, I know that some of these countries in Africa and elsewhere in the world will be surprised that there was ever a debate on biotechnology because by that time, we must have gone far. Here we are, we're talking of the safety of GMOs, but, but science and technology is evolving, it's moving. Now we're talking about CRISPR. Now we're talking about gene addicting. While evolving, why people are debating about GMOs, scientists are coming up with new innovations. So when are we going to wake up from our sleep? When are we going to say, okay, look, we just need to move away from our naive way of thinking and see how we can become progressive, we can become more critically conscious and stop living in the magical. Because living in the magical will take us to nowhere. We don't have to wait until we are attacked. We don't have to wait until, you know, we are all, you know, in crisis before we start running in the skelter to see how we can look for solutions. I think that's, that's, that's my take. That was very well said. I don't think anyone could have said it better. I think we can conclude. And thank you for taking the time to, to talk with me. I think it was very informative and enlightening. It's my pleasure, Dave. It's, it's, it's my humble pleasure. It thank, thank you for having me, you know, to speak on these, these issues that are actually developing our people. You know, feel free to talk to me anytime, you know, you feel that there's need, you know, to also out again, you know, on this particular, you know, subject matter to see how we can make a headway and help our people come out of this crisis. Thank you very much. That was Etta Michael Bissau. If you'd like to check out some of Etta's works, links have been provided in the show notes. 
And if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll always be up to date. And if you can, give us a rating or leave a comment wherever you listen to this. I hope you have a great week. I'm David Latchman, and I hope you'll join us next week when we talk to a new science communicator.